Welcome back, readers and romance seekers, to Hopelessly Romantic Behind the Page. Oh, I can't really believe that it is, I think, a little over a week now until the big jolly holiday, as it were. It, like, let, me, let me check. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, a week and some change, I guess. Um, but it's even less than a week if you're into Yule. Um, truth be told, I really haven't done a lot of Christmas this month. Um, I've been kind of busy with other stuff. I'll, I'll talk about that later. Um, so Harlequin Holiday is the closest that I've really gotten to festive cheer this year. Yeah, so this was a bit of an idea that I had while wondering what I should be getting up to during the December season. I really did think that I needed like a minute, I guess, after the insanity that was November. Um, I, but I knew that I didn't want to take any other time off. Um, but I also knew that I did need to slow down, pump the brakes a bit. So that's why I came up with Harlequin Holiday. The Harlequins are quickly read and easily digestible, usually. Uh, and I've started working on compressing my reviews as well, trying to focus more on its content and cultural implications rather than the events of the stories themselves. And that was a good start on this process. And don't worry, it doesn't mean that I'm going to be doing Harlequins exclusively and only in December. I'm sure I will find myself in a bookstore and take a gander to see what nonsense they've cooked up the other months of the year. Um, but I find that the potential for hilarity increases with the Christmas theme. Um, great case in point, uh, I watched a couple of Christmas royalty romance movies. You know, the ones. <laughs> one was not so bad, but one blatantly said, based on a Harlequin novel, and that was hot garbage. Wow, from beginning to end. I don't remember what the name was. It was terrible. Anyway, anyway. Um, speaking of bookstores, on a totally random note, they keep moving my bookstore around, at least the stuff on the inside. I swear, every time I go in there, it's completely different. They've split the romance up into non-mass market books and mass market paperbacks. Mass market, you know, being things like the Harlequins. It's fine, really, but I thought I was losing my friggin' mind trying to find the little books it was on the other side of the store. It's like, you know, there's one side with all the stuff on it. There's the aisle and then there's the other side. So I was really, uh, really surprised to see all that like mixed around. Um, and oh, this one's also very weird. Some genius at my local big box bookstore thought it was a brilliant idea to face the young adult novels directly towards the non mass market romance books, you know, the ones on the same shelf where I found American Queen? Look, I'm not a prude, and I'm certainly not suggesting that we keep those kids in a styrofoam box, but that is an excellent way for 12-year-olds reading beyond their age to accidentally discover hardcore BDSM. I'm not saying that I'm speaking from experience here, but I'm also not not saying that. Uh, but, but again, yes, we don't need to censor things from the precious little children to absurd levels. I think some exploration is fine, especially when they hit that high school age. But maybe don't put the hardcore erotica 10 steps away from the books targeted at, at teens or younger. And yeah, 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 I do realize that a lot of adults actually do read their YA stuff as well, myself included, but we, we should be realistic here. <laughs> but anyway, tirade over. Um, let's stop avoiding the big picture and take another look at his Christmas guardian. And this was an interesting one for sure. I never thought that I would see a queer romance in the mainstream Harlequin lineup, but here we are. Uh, I did a little bit of digging on it and I 
found out, I think about last year or so, they actually put out a queer romance in their special edition imprint, um, which was also Christmas themed, by the way. I hope it means that they'll start branching out a little bit more. Um, but we will have to wait and see. I'll, I'll always check in and see if there's other, any others that they, uh, that they pop out. And queer, queer romance aside or not, when I say that this was the most heteronormative thing ever, I meant it. You could have swapped out, let's say, Nick for Nicole, and the story wouldn't have changed that much. You still could have had the bigoted dad who, instead of hating gay people, hated a daughter who refused to follow rigid gender roles. But, you know, let's be real here. A father who hates his gay son will also hate his daughter who refused to stay at home and cook and get married the moment she turned 18. But the story would have functionally remained the same. And honestly, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not. My analogy about swapping male action heroes for female action heroes isn't a perfect analogy because it forgets one very important thing. And that's the history and struggle women have had to fight through in order to be able to fill roles traditionally filled by men. So I think a lot of writers will lean in hard to the feminism aspect, you know, ha- bring us those hashtag girl bosses because they want to acknowledge that that struggle. But sometimes I feel like they go a little too hard into it. Um, it's also a little bit like hearing a white person say, oh, they don't see color. Um, good for you, bro. But you're also erasing a massively significant part of that individual's identity. Again, erasing that struggle that they and their families and their ancestors have gone through just to exist. Like generational trauma is a thing. Um, So here we have our queer romance, but could have easily just been a hetero romance during a season that's been used to prop up the concept of the biblical family unit. By biblical family unit, I'm talking about that idiotic claim that the Bible defines marriage between a man and a woman. I mean, Technically, but it can also define marriage between a man and 30 women, or a man and a 12-year-old girl, or a man and his brother's widow. The options are endless, none of them fun. Essentially, my real question is, is this story actually inclusive, or is this meant to cater towards a specific, uh, a specific demographic, older women, and not at all intended for an actually queer audience? I've been thinking about this a lot while I was reading this book. Because I know what the demographic is for Harlequins. That I mean, remember, Harlequin has Karina Press. That is their LGBT imprint. They already have that potential foothold within the LGBTQI plus demographic. So they don't necessarily need to break into the main Harlequin stories if they want to reach a queer audience. So the question is, is Harlequin using their mainstream titles to promote queer stories in order to bring more queer readers to them or are they using queer story stories to appropriate for the consumption of individuals who are not queer so i i'm not an executive at harlequin i am not the editor in charge of story selection so i don't really know for sure like i said in that episode i want to believe that they had good intentions but i'm also not entirely convinced that they got the manuscript from the author and then they asked her to switch gender out for the payday. So it could have gone either way. But it did give me a little bit of opportunity to have some fun with the episode. You might have noticed that it was not I that read the novel quotes. 
I normally don't mind when the story has a man and a woman, and I'm fine with reading the male parts. Many audiobook narrators do the same. But both our characters were male, and so I thought it might sound a little strange. So I called my brother. Okay, I texted him, but you know what I mean. Um, And this was not just a spur-of-the-moment-I-need-a-guy-voice decision. I could have grabbed my technical advisor for that. He probably would have declined anyway. Um, Joshua actually has acting experience, speaking experience, and actually is queer. So basically, he's perfect for the role. He delightfully obliged me by recording my selected quotes and then sent them along. And because he is a professional, he gave me various takes with various inflections. It was a lot of fun to listen to. He even separated phrases so that I could splice my favorite parts together. It was it was a ton of fun. It made me laugh a lot. And he did send me over 15 minutes of material for those three quotes. Um, and of course, I can't use all of it. But I think as a special treat, I'm going to give you my favorite take of his. Alex stared up at Nick, who stared back. The raw intimacy of staring into each other's eyes, <laughs> into each other's souls, was intense and lifted the sex out of the realm of the physical into the realm of magic. Yep, that's the winner. I know that's the one you're going to pick. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't not laugh. I <laughs> I wasn't going to laugh when I turned on my mic, but I can't. <laughs> um, you do need to know that when he sent the particular file for that quote, um, it says Heather's little brother says sex. So he has a sense of humor <laughs> and he's going to be the next great audiobook narrator star. I just know it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, you might remember that in our last novel, the latest addition to the shelf of shame, Um, I was worried that I had fallen into a Jesus book. Uh, In case you were wondering about his Christmas Guardian and our upcoming read and how I feel about that whole matter, honestly, I'm ambivalent about it. I mean, come on, they're Christmas books. It comes with the territory, so I'm not going to get all bent up in a twist about it. I expect it to happen. Um, I will say, though, last year's Christmas choices were light on the Jesus. Um, So I guess we had to make up for it this time with the whole actual nativity, the very first nativity that was supposedly made by the people who are actually there. Um, the next one's pretty big too on the Jesus, but it's different. We'll, we'll get to it next week. Also, 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 I was reading. I was looking up while I was looking up to see if the nativity was a thing, like if this was a thing. I found out that the wise men might, might not have actually been there for two years after the birth of the Christ child. So I, I, I can't remember if I actually said this in the episode or not, but I went down a rabbit hole here. So we know the image of the nativity, right? Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus in a little stack of hay, animals everywhere, shepherds and the wise men. And if the, if that's not correct, if the wise men actually had not shown up, for two years after Christ's birth, I would surely hope that Joseph had gotten his act together and moved Mary and baby Jesus out from that stinking stable. uh, Yeah. Okay. So this was, this was actually, I have been to, I have been to 
Southern Baptist Sunday School. I have gone through that gambit, and this is the first time I am finding out that the Wiseman might have not shown up for two years before the actual or after the event of the birth of Christ. And also, and that's a very long time for a star to shine that's both visible day and night. Um, sorry, that was somewhere else. Anyway, um, but I, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll talk more about the Christmas stuff. That was just a complete random unplanned tangent. Um, that I think that's enough time with our Christmas spies. I could go on longer, but again, I'm supposed to be taking it easy this month. Uh, so we can actually move on to what Heather's been reading this week. And for once, I actually am reading something. Small miracles. It's a Christmas miracle, even. Uh, I am reading several things, actually. Um, I am reading Square Foot Gardening and Vegetable Gardening in the Midwest. Oh, and for fun, I'm also thumbing through my old copy of Wicket in the Kitchen. <laughs> um, you might be thinking, uh, it's December, Heather. Why the heck are you th- reading about gardening? Well, I'll tell you, because I want to start a garden. But I I hear you say, you live in the Midwest, Heather. Your last frost date is months away. You would be correct, but I have a ton of prep to do. Like, a lot. Because I am going all the way here. The real truth of the matter is, is that I am 30 minutes one way from my nearest fresh grocery store. Getting my weekly groceries is a chore, and I hate it. It makes it hard to plan fresh meals, and frankly, I want to start eating better in general, but that's really hard to do when I think to myself, I'd like to eat good today and tomorrow, but I'm not feeling it tomorrow, and then the vegetables go to waste. Um, Now, I know that I'm not going to produce all of the needed groceries this year. That's not happening. I'm not going to go that hard because I have a lot to learn. Um, I have... I, I All of the books and all of the YouTube tutorials are not going to do a gosh darn thing for me until I really get my hands in the dirt. Um, so I have, I, I've got a lot to learn. I need to figure out what works, what doesn't. And year one is not going to be the year where I've made all of our food, especially if I've never grown anything beyond my houseplants and I've only got a few of those. Um, and there's also a ton of Korean vegetables that I'd like to start using, but I can't really get those without driving the three hours to Chicago for the Korean grocery there. And even they don't have the actual Korean varieties. They have the American varieties, which is fine. because That's what's available. So I can order seeds from companies that are for that purpose for Koreans living in America, and I can grow them here once I've ordered them. Um, so I picked up Square Foot Gardening. That's the first book because I'm planning on raised beds. I'm not going to be following the exact method, but Square, gar- square Foot Gardening is a way to maximize your yield in a minimum amount of space. Uh, it's a method developed by this uh, fellow named Mel Bartholomew. He's since passed, um, but the folks that keep up his legacy keep his name on the updated editions of the book. So that's really nice. Essentially, it just... It's a method that can produce the amount of food a person needs in about 32 square feet. Um, So for myself and my technical advisor, I would need about 64 square feet or about four four by four garden beds. Um, If I want to keep us supplied with daily salads and enough food to preserve for the coming year, I would have to bring out more. 
More beds could be added, though they might only need two three by three beds if they're young. Um, if for, for kids, I'm sorry. I'm completely getting ahead of myself here. It really is an interesting concept. Um, when I say that I'm not doing the full method, um, the square foot gardening method actually recommends that you only have to grow in six, like a, a raised bed about six inches. Um, I have rabbits, moles, and dogs. So, okay, the rabbits and moles, they're not mine. They just show up in the yard. Um, so I'm getting higher garden beds. I'm going to get at least 17 inches, I think. I think that's the device that I'm looking at. Um, we're not going to be doing like the building from wood because my technical advisor is very much function first and wood degrades. And we're looking at a system that is not going to degrade. Uh, and if it does, it's going to take a very, very, very long time. Um, and the system that we're looking at is about 17 inches or so. So hopefully dogs will stay out of it and rabbits are like, oh, not going to bother. Um, and... But I'm I'm not going like with a bunch of garden beds yet. I'm starting with two four by four plots, maybe five by five, depending on the system that I'm buying. Um, I will learn succession planting as well. What that is, is basically it keeps us supplied with our daily vegetables. That way, if let, let's say I start a lettuce seed, right? And then I wait for it to be big enough to put outside. Well, while that lettuce seed is still growing... One week later, I can start a new lettuce seed and I can extend my growing season as much as possible. Um, and then I also have to maybe learn about hoop, uh, hoop house gardening um, to keep us with food during the colder months, or maybe even a system that puts a lot of shade cloth on. Because again, we want those like, you know, those cold weather vegetables, like the lettuce and the salads and the kales, the spinach and all of that stuff. And they don't like the heat of the sun. So I would need like a hoop house for shade cloth and such. Um, I also need to learn preserving techniques to make sure none of my bounty goes to waste because the worst thing I could do is just let my food go to waste. That's, mm -mm, no bueno. If I have to have anything that goes to waste, it's going into the compost. That's something else I have to learn about. Um, I, and, and again, I could do experiment with different varieties. My technical advisor already knows where to get the Korean varieties from, so I'm pretty excited there. Um, and I might also supplement with some container gardening on my deck for things like peppers, tomatoes, maybe even a, like a small Korean summer melon, um, or a type of Korean chive called buchu. They make a really yummy pancake. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm very excited, uh, but I can't really grow a garden until I have a garden to grow in. So I also need to set up a compost pile. Yeah, I, I, I do have to learn that. The chances of that rate being ready by the time it's time for me to start growing and planting, it's pretty low. Compost needs to be able to heat up to make itself work in uh, December. Um, but I need to get a heap going as soon as I can, and I need to pick out where I want to put my beds. I can order my seeds and determine how I want to start the seeds. This is all really good prep to be doing in January, uh, December, January, and February. Um, frustratingly, my house has zero south facing windows. So people who grow plants will know exactly what I mean. Um, that's going to be a challenge and I have to start a garden journal. That way I can keep notes of what I learned. So I got to get on top of that. Um, the other book, the vegetable gardening in the Midwest, that's been really helpful for my timeline. So like I said that, you know, December, January, February, those are really great prep months. And I know that because of this book, it told me what I could be doing during these months. And both square foot gardening and um, uh, vegetable gardening for the Midwest, they both have really great glossaries on 
growing plants and different kinds of vegetables and whatnot. I do feel a little dumb sometimes, though, because I'm like, how much do I water these things? What do I need to do? It's just, I need this year to learn. <laughs> so I I don't anticipate a lot of success, but hopefully the failures of this year will give me bounty next year. Um, and I've had the other thing that the other book is telling me, um, is like, you know, my hardiness zone. That's another thing I've had to learn about. I hope y'all are enjoying my gardening discovery because I get to, you know, info dump on everybody now. Yes. Hardiness zone. Um, it's something that the USDA like, you know, made up to tell us what's really good, where and when and how, um, I'm in zone five B I'm in the Midwest, of course, and I apparently there's things called like a microclimate, so I need to figure out if I have a microclimate that affects my growing season. I know I get a lot of rain in the summer, so that might give me problems, but if I put hoop houses up and use them appropriately, that might help. I don't know. Um, but uh, I think right now my big question mark is when my frost dates are. I know we could try to predict them as best as we can, but, you know weather gonna weather and I end up getting snow in May. Um, <laughs> that has happened. I, I, I promise it's happened. Um, but I need to know when those frost dates are that way I can really start my indoor seeds. Uh, but yeah, I've been, I've been neck deep in all of this. I am, I'm trying to put my brakes to, to remind myself not to do, try too much at once, except that I'm going to make mistakes. I'm not going to get a perfect yield this year, but dang it, I'm gonna try. And, and for funsies, the last book I've been reading, Wicca in the Kitchen, this is an old book from my college days, and I thought it would be really fun to revisit since, you know, paganism and Wicca is very close to the earth and nature, and what better way to reawaken that as I'm trying to garden and get things going, and, you know, put in some positive energies to the plants that I'm trying to grow, and you know, nurture them for their purpose to nurture us, you know, give and get. It's been fun. I've been doing all this research and it's great. And, but yeah, what else am I going to do while I wait to edit that book that I wrote? I, I did manage to finish my manuscript and I am leaving it alone until I decide that I'm ready to edit it again. Um, I think I mentioned this a couple of times, uh, common knowledge says leave it alone for at least a month. Uh, I might give mine a couple more weeks at least. Uh, but I think, I think that's going to be it for me today. Um, I will see you all next week when we read Christmas Crime Spree by Rachel Lee. Thank you for joining me, readers and romance seekers, and I hope to see you once again for Hopelessly Romantic. If you like the show, please visit us at hopelesslyromanticpodcast.com. If you have questions or want to recommend a read, please email us at contact at hopelesslyromanticpodcast.com. The show is written and produced by me, Heather Songster. Our technical advisor is Kwang Yun Cho. Hopelessly Romantic is an H with K production. And it doesn't matter what you read, only that it's what you love.